Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we've got a special episode for you today. We promised it, uh, what was it, three weeks ago? Yeah, something like that. And here's the thing, like, I thought this was going to be a 30-minute conversation, and it went, like, over an hour. I've edited it down somewhat. Um, uh, but it's me and Kim Renfro, the uh, pop culture editor over at Insider, who did a lot of – she's doing a lot of work this year. She's got a lot of exclusive interviews, the cast and crew. She was one of the ones that put the kibosh on the uh, uh, long claw opening his eyes argument. She had an interview with <laughs> Alan Taylor where she put it to him, and he's like, that's nonsense. Uh, no, no, long claw's not a sentient sword. Um and we had a really, really fascinating conversation because Kim was one of the ones that uh, indulged in the leaks pre preseason. So we we're a lot of we we're talking about the aftermath of that. There's some inside ball and like the impact impact of that as a she's not a podcaster, she's a culture writer, but it you know it's kind of a similar similar lane to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is I mentioned in the spoiler podcast like I think two weeks ago that there was one major plot point that's still kind of laying out there in the leaks that I was uh, I would not have read the leaks had I known that there was one more landmine out there to, to step on. Uh, and I brought it up with Kim at the very end of her conversation, and I'm going to mark that with extra – with an out. we'll do the full outro and theme music, and then that part where we discuss the leaks is going to be out there. Um, I debated about whether we should include it or not, but I think, you know – there's enough people out there that want that that were indulged in the leaks and want to hear the analysis and the fact that I've already got spoiled on that one plot point. I do. Kim and I both think it will be something that they saved. We don't think it's going to be cut. We think it's going to be something they save for next year. So mm, okay. if you want to come in next year pure, do not listen to that last couple minutes of the podcast. That's the only thing we'll be talking about. So uh, otherwise, hope you enjoy the conversation. Here I am with Kim. Oh, real quick before we get to Kim, I uh, want to remind everybody about the pod pack that Jim. Uh, put together with a bunch of other uh, all-star Game of Thrones podcasters. Uh, you can go to podpack.baldmove.com and uh, get a load of that. Half of it's going to charity. It's divided up amongst the other podcasters. Uh, um, and also, Jim and I decided to uh, devote 100% of our cut of the proceeds to the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also... Uh, the main you're, this this is the the Kim podcast the the spoiler podcast for just a feedback session comes out later uh, Friday uh, and we start season two of Game of Thrones next week um, again that's a spoil the the first part of that podcast will be a spoiler free review and discussion of the episode itself and then we'll have a bit of general feedback and then we'll have a spoiler edition where we talk about that episode in terms of the larger Game of Thrones story mm-hmm. and also just like you know we might just chit chat about current theories or whatever yeah. uh, American Horror Story cult season starts this week in fact I think Cecily and I are recording that episode tonight uh, we also coming up, you know, Game of Thrones is going away, but there's still lots of stuff coming down the pike. Stranger Things will have a retrospective coverage of season one leading into the season two premiere. Mr. Robot comes back. The Walking Dead comes back in October. Bald Move Television, Bald Movies, tons of stuff all the time at baldmove.com. Don't forget about us just because Game of Thrones is off the air. Uh, all right. Now we will get to my interview with Kim Renfro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Madman and father of Mad Max, George Miller, is back with another apocalyptic tale from the Australian wastelands. This time we're getting a prequel featuring the origin story of Charlize Theron's character Furiosa, starring the Queen's Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy in the title role and the mighty Thor Chris Hemsworth as the warlord Dr. Dementis. Furiosa promises more high-octane, slightly radioactive action and fun. Furiosa drives into theaters on May 24th, and we'll have our spoiler-free thoughts and impressions of the film, as well as a discussion of trailers and upcoming movies for everyone. But if you want to ride with us the full length of the podcast on the eternal highways of Valhalla, shiny and chrome, you're going to have to be a club member. Join today at support.baldmove.com. Get our full discussion of Furiosa and many more first-run films, plus tons of other bonus podcasts and ad-free feeds. Support.baldmove.com. All right, joining me now is Kim Rinfro from The Insider. Uh, you are the senior contributor for Pop Culture. Did I get that right? Yeah, senior culture reporter. Senior culture reporter. All right. Um, and we, if you, if you're, if you've joined us in between the the season, uh, episode one, and and the conclusion of the season, Kim actually joined us for the uh, our first episode, our first spoiler episode this season. We talked a little bit about uh, what was going on and what I. Uh, what became apparent to me is that you were all you were all spoiled up. You were all spoiled up with the leaks and stuff uh, <laughs> before the season started. When can, can I talk to you a little bit about the decision? Like, was that like was there ever a doubt in your mind that you would jump right into that, or was there a little bit debate, or was there uh, was just like, well, this is my job and I'm going to jump jump right in, or was it more like? Uh, I, I'm just kind of curious about how you went ahead and made the decision to indulge in those, and then maybe we can talk about how it maybe affected the coverage and like your your opinion on the season. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I made the choice a while ago, probably like two years ago now, that I kind I consider reading spoilers to be part of my job at this point, which kind of sucks. But at the same time, I'm one of those people that is really interested and I have basically zero self-control. So, (laughs) so it just kind of came with the territory for me because I think as early as season, season five was when I started reporting on the show, but I wasn't full time doing it Uh at that point. I was just kind of, I was doing like one article a week in my spare time. And so season six was when I, it was really full time. And that was also when, you know, we were getting full episodes that were leaking. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it comes from the fact that I've always been a Redditor. I was a Redditor before I was a Game of Thrones reporter. Sure. And so I I was there for the the evolution of Free Folk, that subreddit. Oh, like, yeah. I was, uh-huh. I, w- I was a lurker. I wasn't involved with it. But I watched as, like, this entire debacle happened between the moderators and Free Folk emerged. And Free Folk was all about discussing the leaks and spoilers in kind of like an open forum. Right. Um, so yeah, with this season, it's not like I made the choice to go seek them out. I was just, it was just happening. Right. And I was already subscribed to those subreddits and already kind of following the right people on Twitter or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it, it happened. So I, I think I, I became first aware of them in October when that big Reddit dump happened from Mm -hmm. away for the lads. But at the time, I wasn't sure if it was real. Right. Right. Because it, it sounded kind of like 
it sounded plausible enough, but it also sounded like something that a troll could make up yeah. to mess with people. And I've I've been in doing this long enough where I've seen the spoiler game evolve. Like I remember when people were leaking shooting scripts from Breaking Bad in season four and reading some of those and then I also remember people like claimed to have shooting scripts for season five and they were really plausible with like you know seemingly Vince Gilligan dialogue and it was all bullshit and made up so mm-hmm. like I, I guess that would be the first thing and, I, and, and when I was reading because since then I've read the the leak and there's got to be a, some points where you know I, I guess what was the most kind of like skeptical you were about a particular plot point was there anyone that jumped out at you of like this is crazy. This is nuts. Did- it was the boat sex. I hated it. Really? Hated it. That was the yeah. most implausible thing? <laughs> the boat sex? <laughs> maybe not maybe not implausible, but like it was the it read to me the most like, uh, like really like John almost dies and then Danny saves him and then they have sex on a boat for the first time as like some sort of weird like victory emotional thing i don't know yeah i'm also like i didn't i it sounded it sounded like something someone would make up to mess with people who didn't want john and danny to get together and i was kind of one of those people for a long time so that's the one that i remember freaking out the most about and then the the Viserian ice dragon thing mm-hmm. also sounded to me like when when we talked earlier in the season and you asked me like is there something that happens that is kind of like a long a long time coming fan theory thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's what I was thinking of is right. that people have talked about ice dragons forever. People have talked about white dragons or right. brand warging into a dragon. Yep. Like that was a huge thing that again I thought someone could just be making up or might be real. And then as like as the production leaks started trickling in and we got like more and more confirmation that this was really happening. It, it was probably like February by the time that I realized that that was a legit summary of right. everything that happened right you f- and so yeah you asked you asked about like so what does that do for me for coverage yeah. and it does make it it makes it really sticky because i used to love writing about fan theories or doing my own speculation or analysis of scenes that were happening and to like see if that meant that something was coming up and it kind of it kind of made it so that i couldn't do that without being dishonest because uh-huh. i didn't want I didn't want to write a whole breakdown of a scene and guess what it might mean for the future when if, you know, I, already, right. if I already knew. Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of stay away from doing that too much. But at the same time, I did give myself a break when it was things that I knew that I would have worked out on my own anyways. It's a bummer. It is, I hope... So do you think? Do you hope in season eight that they may find a way to seal these leaks? Would you rather... Because I know I was I was I was debating about this down at Con of Thrones and some of the podcasters and people that were into, you know, the 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 fan industry were like, this is actually kind of cool because it helps us kind of like you know get ahead of the coverage and we can have like articles kind of like, you know, the main yeah, plot that's points. The selfish part of it. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Like I've I've got this complicated relationship with spoilers and maybe this is boring like i'm this is too inside ball for people but this is just me as a podcaster wanting to talk to another person um whereas like i've i've sometimes like i don't understand why people are so hypersensitive to spoilers because like for example whether you see godfather the film first or read the book first 
I don't think one can spoil the other because they're both really good examples of like art, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And like, uh, so like, I I felt even though I'd, I I I didn't see I haven't read I didn't read Game of Thrones before the first season, but then I read like the first three books between seasons one and two, and I read the rest between seasons two and three, and I always felt like that it was just as pleasurable watching something I knew that was going to happen already unfold before me as, in, in a really well done way as it was to like read it for the first time. Yeah. But this, these leaks kind of vex me because I've, I've seen this experience with, with uh, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, now Game of Thrones, where there's something about just seeing a plot completely devoid of any artifice. Like it's not got acting behind it there's no set dressing behind it. it's just a bullet point that says the night king throws a spear and kills a dragon that's like right. it's it's like if you watched a version of the godfather that was a flip book drawn in crayon that maybe that could ruin you like that's a spoiler that can like and and that that's that's where i keep coming back to these spoilers it's like it it without any of the effect like you know any of the things trying to suspend your disbelief it it feels like it it ruins it in a more complete way than almost any other type of spoiling does what what do you think about that and i guess the real question i'm at did you when you read about the plan to capture a white to show cersei did that look did that read on the page like as stupid as it seemed when we were watching it for the first time it actually didn't I don't I don't know I didn't think too hard about it at that point I was a little bit like huh okay like that's really the best that they can come up with but Mm -hmm. of all the things in the leak I wasn't I wasn't really fussed about that one but so so that's I think that leads into my my kind of feelings on these leaks is that it's all there are so many layers to them, right? So for season seven, I think that reading the leaks didn't spoil my enjoyment whatsoever of watching the season because if anything, the baseline plot points were like the least interesting thing about season seven or like you could say the worst thing if you want to say like best or worst. Like for me at this point with season seven, the all of my pleasure in it comes from the things like the amazing costumes, like the amazing cinematography, like the score. Mm-hmm. It's not coming from what D and D are like generally doing with these characters anymore, if that makes sense. And so having, having that ruined for me didn't take away from my enjoyment of getting to watch it play out on screen because the visuals of it are, I think what the show is best at, at this point. However, I don't think that that will be the case for season eight because it's the end. Like this was a little slice of the middle that I was okay with kind of having spoiled for me. I gotcha. am going to be really sad if, if slash when, cause I feel like, I feel like there's almost no way that HBO can keep yeah, a lid either. on it. Like it, I, it's, it was bad that it got leaked almost a year. Like almost as soon as people got the scripts, it felt like someone was feeding that to somebody, but yeah, right. I don't see how they keep it with all their foreign affiliates, with all the translation has to be done, with all the court. Like I just, I just, and with the the hundreds of people that have the shooting scripts in their hands, I don't see how they keep it out of the public forever. I feel like at this point, 
the only thing that they could maybe do, which would probably be too much effort on their behalf, is is put a conscious effort into putting fake leaks out there. Yeah. Because you, I don't know if you saw that Kit Harrington before season seven aired, he like went on, it was either Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, and he tried to say like, oh yeah, we filmed 15 hours of fake scenes and so people think that they know what's going to happen but they really don't and i was uh, like that's a lie yeah like, right like all, i know what i know what set leaks you're talking about kit and they're yeah. all real and, then, and so like unless they actually tried to do that or actually tried to like circulate some fake scripts along with the real ones and try and confuse people as to what the real yeah Set ending a, a canary was. in the mine kind of cold yeah. trap kind of yeah but because, like I said, when I first read this overview back in October, I genuinely wasn't convinced one way or another. Right. But that's the crazy thing, because I take it to understand, because I saw the the thread after it had been fully updated. And as each bullet point of the plot, um, when someone would get like a telephoto lens of like, yeah. uh, Tyrion arrives with Davos on King's Landing to, yeah. you know, rescue Gendry or whatever and there'd be like you know telephoto lenses of like yep here's Davos and Tyrion on a ship and oh hey look there's uh, Gendry at the Warhammer um I mean everything is just it just it kind of confirms itself because by and large these things are shot in real world locations that don't have four walls around them um you know you're always going to have some like you know uh scenes inside the boat you know like that's like those are on his closed sound stage but a lot of can games... you imagine if the boat sex had... <laughs> had leaked yeah there's like a telephoto lens <laughs> through like... the porthole and <laughs> um but you know like by and large that stuff just was auto was being auto confirmed like yeah every right. single plot point had uh you could click on it and see the people taking the photos over in iceland or wherever you know right. northern england or whatever and yeah, it does. It it did. I don't know. It did kind of suck the fun out of it. And so, I, I noticed you were careful to say that, like, uh, at this point, frequently when you were talking about you know Game of Thrones visual mastery versus its plot intricacy, where do you think, um, to the extent that you think the wheels have fallen off? And maybe that's another thing. I I, sh- I should have started with this. Where where would you say this season? I don't want to outright ranking, but what kind of letter grade would you give it? Like, if the average Game of Thrones season's an A-, minus, let's say, what would you say season seven was on the whole? I'd say a B, B+. Plus. Okay, so it's not like, a steep drop-off. No, not, and, and I mean, maybe that's, maybe for me that's a product of me having spent a lot of quiet personal time over the last two years coming mm-hmm. to terms with the fact that what's happening to the show is happening, which is that they no longer have any books to go off of. And I, right. I think it's, it's absolutely clear that that's affecting some of the ways that they handle characters and certain scenes and certain overall arcs. Um, so I definitely don't think that the show will ever be what it was in say season four, yeah, which is arguably one of my favorite seasons. Right. Um, but at the same time, I, I disagree that I disagree with people that say that it's completely lost all of its magic because there are still really, really impressive moments of acting and writing. And like I said, the, the entire visual of it is just on a completely different level than any other TV program. And if you, if you go into it, understanding that, I think Mm -hmm. that you'll enjoy it a lot more and kind of like sit back and let, like, let it take you over with, with the impressive cinematography and whatever. It's kind you of, know, 
It, yeah. it reminds me a lot of like David Lynch's Dune. Like if you're familiar with the source material and you want to ha- let it work, it will. But if you want to objectively look and say there's big gaping holes here and this doesn't really make sense and boy, they sure didn't introduce this character, then all that stuff applies. But I guess where I disagree with most of the fandom is like I put a lot I put a lot more of this, the blame for the situation on Martin than I do in the double D's. Because it's yeah. not like the Double D signed up to write bad George Martin fan fiction. And right. the writing process almost guarantees that they do that. Because where George can take an indefinite amount of time between Dance of Dragons and Winds with Winter, the Double Ds, uh, this, you know, they get four or five months in between the thing premiering and starting up the next season. And that's it. They have to go with whatever they have, the best answer they've got, and, and roll with it. Right. Uh, and still hit like, and it's not like they have unfettered, like I can tell whatever story they want. Cause I'm pretty sure the option of just throwing all of, you know, George Martin's bullet points away and just doing whatever the hell we want. That's, that was never an option on the table. So they're in this weird middle ground of having to write structured fanfic from this guy who's a, a gardener of a storyteller. And now they have to get like a little bit more, you know, architectural with it. And it's, there's a lot of stuff that's not working, but the stuff that always worked, like you said, cinematography, I thought some of the dialogue, especially in beyond the wall, the different dialogue between the different, you know, ma- facets of the magnificent seven. I thought yeah. the, the confrontations between Tyrion yeah. and Cersei and Jamie and Cersei and all those things were really excellent and as good as anything the show's ever done. Yeah. It's just there is not in every other season up until like the last two, maybe three, there's been a through line that you can intelligently f- follow and be like, well, yeah, of course, you know, if the house needed this and that and this other house needed, well, then of course it's inevitable that this would happen. And that's kind of been missing. Stuff has just kind of been happening by fiat. Uh, yeah, and, yeah that's like, that's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's 100% a bummer, and I don't discredit anyone who still feels very strongly about what's happening. It's just that I personally think that I've come to terms with it, and yeah. therefore, I, like, I don't, I choose not to dwell too harshly on those things because I kind of, I just set my expectations a little bit lower and that's okay. And it's still like, that's still a very high bar for Mm -hmm. television. I think at this point. Oh yeah. And there's, it's just, yeah, there is nothing like game of Thrones on television. Um, and until the next big budget fantasy extravaganza or, you know, piece of historical fiction, there probably won't be. I certainly do not envy the position that they are in with trying to bring this thing to a close. Mm-hmm. And I think I was I was maybe more nervous right up until The Dragon and the Wolf, the season 7 finale, and Me I too. thought that they I thought that they completely stuck that landing in every way that they could have and it it made me feel better cuz I I honestly think the same thing happened last season with season 6. You can argue that Battle of the Bastards was like one of their best episodes visually and a lot that is due to director Miguel Sapochnik. Yep. But if you really try and poke holes in the writing, it starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And then they came in with The Winds of Winter, which was one of the best written episodes of the mm-hmm. season. And so I just try and focus on that and keep up, like, as stay as optimistic as possible for this final season. Do you think George Martin will write The Winds of Winter? Yes. Do you think he, he has? He has been writing it. <laughs> uh, do you think he will release it before season eight? I don't know. 
I don't want to. I don't want to say yes, but I've. I feel like I've always been too optimistic when it comes to. Like, if you had, I'm pretty sure that I. I did last. I published an article in January of this year mm-hmm. on like how upset a lot of fans were and right. people were starting to give up. And I like I interviewed um, Elio and Linda Antonson. Right, his uh, collaborators on yeah. the world of Ice and Fire. Yeah, to try and kind of like talk to them about what they think was happening. And even when I was working on that, I was like, Oh, I'm going to like, before I can get this article finished, she's going to announce it. Like (laughs) he, he's going to scoop my, my story and Uh, like, and say that he's done. And now it's been eight months and jokes on me because that was, I was obviously being a sweet summer child in this past winter. So I don't know. I, I think that he could. And that's the thing is that for the last I feel like four years I've been saying he definitely could finish it this year. It's just whether or not that works out for him and his writing pace right now. I don't know. It's just so weird to think that he was releasing preview chapters three years ago. Like I'm done. I'm just putting the finishing touches. Here you go. And I wonder if something happened to where he just had to throw all that stuff away. Because I, I I honestly can't figure out with as much as he's claimed to have cleared his schedule and just focused on finishing this up and where I knew he was in like 2015, how in the world is this still happening, you know? Right. Because he told his publishers that he could turn it in by August 2015. Mm-hmm. And then he had to meet with them, right? And they extended the deadline to December. Mm-hmm. And then he blew that deadline. And that's when the big... Yeah. not a blog update came yeah. and he and he admitted that he had that he had blown both of those deadlines which means that at some point right in 2015 he was close enough that he thought that he was just months away and, and now he had, he's yeah and that's a great what if if, if he had made that if he had made that and it was good which is another caveat then where would we be and could he would he be in position to cuz i feel like that if i i'm I feel like that if he finishes the wins or if he finishes the series, it's going to be after the show. And if the show is received well, because I actually think that if the show, if the final season is kind of plays to mixed reviews, that it might, it might almost fatally delay the series. Like I, I, so like, let me ask you this. Do you think, so you're, you're, you're bullish on the winds of winter. What about a dream of spring? I don't know. <laughs> so you're even even I, even the summer child's not willing to <laughs> stake out a, a claim on Dream of Spring, huh? I think well, so you know, people. I think it was uh, the incredible Joanna Robinson at Vanity uh-huh, Fair. Right. Like she floated the idea that he's been working on them simultaneously that makes a lot of sense that does neatly explain the pussyfooting of 2015 that he's like you know i don't want to get myself into trouble with the feast and dance where it's like i thought i had the block the knot and 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 untied and then i released half the book and now that's set in stone and boy i wish i could get some of those back i mean he he had a he he didn't call her out specifically but he he updated his not a blog i think after those that article mm-hmm. and, and headlines like it started circulating and he was like, it's ridiculous to think that I'm sitting on two completed books. And I was like, no one said that you're done with them. But mm-hmm. like, I think it's very possible that he got to a certain point, like you just said, similar to what happened with Feast and Dance, that he got to a certain point with Winds of Winter and said, oh, crap, this is too long. I have to figure out 
where to end wins now and yes. begin dream, which means that which means that he's written material that will be in dream, but he just hasn't figured out how it all sorts. And so I do really think that that's possible. And I do really hope that that is what's happening. I think worst case scenario is that his gardening style is what has stopped all progress because we know that he was eventually forced to give David and Dan his bullet points for the ending. And I, there is a part of me that worries that as soon as he he had to do that, he lost all creative drive to actually flesh out those bullet points into writing. Because when I talked to um, Linda and Elio, they said that for a world of ice and fire, they would be discussing a chapter or whatever. And three days later, George would send them like thousands of words on on a history that they, you know, they only needed a few paragraphs on. And then all of a sudden there were tens and tens of pages of it. But they also said that those types of like history writings weren't things that he could ever then go back and write a fiction novel on because he had already done it. It was, it was like out of his system. He had said the main beats of what happened with those people all back then. And that was it. And so I, I do worry that as soon as he had to give up, his general end game to D and D that he then lost the ability to fill in the blanks with what actually happens for us. And that that's scary. Do you have any hope? Cause like my theory is that he's scared and nervous and he's a natural kind of procrastinator. And those are kind of, those are toxic to that kind of creativity. And if Game of Thrones comes out and is widely hailed as like, you know, they, you know, double D stuck to landing and oh, can't wait to see what George like that might be the shot in the arm and the confidence that he has to just get like and maybe it's just like, you know what, it's not so bad if I have to plow through some of this stuff and it maybe it's not as elegant in my mind's eye as I imagined it. But if I get it out there, it'll be I, I just I don't know I don't I I keep going because you know even yeah. Game of Thrones when it was great was still a very streamlined and simplified telling of a very complex and interesting world so like yes. I do long to see the quote unquote real way that this in game unfolds because you always get the Cliff Notes version on the television show but right. you know yeah like John like John and Daenerys becoming an item. I was, I feel like I was very against that for a while and I didn't let myself believe that George would actually pair them up romantically. And then this season I've kind of had, I've kind of realized and just after like talking to various people, like I interviewed Alan Taylor who directed that episode. Mm -hmm. um, And he told me that like back in season one, George effectively told him that like everything was going to come down to these two characters. And at this point I now, I now believe that George will probably have them do some form of boat sex, but like (laughs) I will like it a lot more if I'm reading it from their points of view and I'm, I'm getting chapters worth of them interacting with each other and I'm in their heads and I'm understanding what this attraction is all about. Whereas for me on the show, I think that fell flat just because it happened relatively quickly and awkwardly with the whole I don't know. We can talk about that if you really want to. No, but. I do because like, I feel like it's, it's so funny that you say that because, number one, just because they're together, there's still a whole lot of tragedy that could befall them in a very George-like manner. Right. Uh, just, totally. you know, like it's the Song of Ice and Fire, but that doesn't mean they're going to be happy ever after. They're not going to be... Oh, no uh, way. 
Yeah, no. they're not going to be um, Aragorn and Arwen on the throne no. of Gondor. But I'm with you. I heard Jim say that he thinks it's it's probable that they both survive, and I don't think that they're going. I, I think one of them has to die. Yeah, and I hope and I hope it's Daenerys. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I. Um, I guess I never had the predisposition to just hate that. And also, like, I always try to keep in mind in the books how relatively young these people are. And even though they've yeah. been thrust in these very serious situations, you get, like, for the very first time, these people are confronted with true peers. Like, you know, John right. never fit in with the Men of the Night's Watch because he was their betters. But yet the, you know, the other knights of the Night's Watch kind of like froze him out because he was a bastard. And he's all in like the free, you know, when he, he, he had this experience with Egret and the free folk and it's kind of the same thing where he wasn't fully accepted. And then he had to constantly fight between the wildlings and the old guard of the, night, uh, the Night's Watch. And this is the first time he's met a true peer. And the same thing for Danny. Like it's you got to right. go back to Drogo and 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 also has Danny recontextualized her relationship with Drogo because when she was going on and right. on about all this basically the, Stockholm syndrome exactly has she kind of woken up to that fact and this is like the first time that she's actually you know met this young dashing attractive complicated uh, altruistic man that kind of like you know speaks her language and also is her peer you know he's not a Dario yeah. like a groupie. Um, right. You know, he's... and I, yeah, I think that that I think that all of those thoughts from both of them will be fleshed out in their chapters where they are like yeah. meeting each other and stuff. But instead, I feel like we got a lot of stilted dialogue of like them not really talking about anything other than like John constantly trying to be like so Night King and her yeah. being like so bend the knee, uh-huh, and then like uh-huh. four episodes later, and also like we didn't even see their first kiss. I think that's what's driving me nuts is that we literally cut from like them standing in front of each other fully clothed <laughs> and John is like consistently the most clothed person yeah. on the show yeah. with like layers and layers and his furs and everything right. to just like the most insanely awkward looking makeout position. <laughs> it was eye the, contact. The the way that they tried to have two naked people right. be Without not them being nude naked. was yeah. was pretty entertaining. Was pretty it entertaining. Was, and also, so that's another, speaking of, like, leaks and stuff, I think uh-huh. that is that is one thing that the leaks do to, to me is that I got these bullet points of what would happen, right. and then I had months to, like, kind of imagine how they were going to do it, mm-hmm. and everything about that Rhaegar-Liana wedding interspersed with the boat sex was, <laughs> as he... like, as far away from my yeah. <laughs> imagination as like I thought we were gonna get like blue roses and like sure. I I was not expecting Rhaegar to look a lot like Viserys even yes. though I realized that in the books they are they are said to look very similar but I've right. kind of forgotten that I was expecting this like handsome long haired prince and instead mm-hmm. I like screamed when I saw like what <laughs> I thought was Viserys I know marrying Lyanna and then it was like interspersed with like like again I I think I was expecting. John and Daenerys's sex scene to be more romantic and I do get why they made it awkward because it's supposed to be awkward because it's incest but uh-huh. like and, and was, you've got you got brand narrating it just to make sure we uh, all know <laughs> just so weird and uh, just uh yeah I I I was so uncomfortable for that entire scene <laughs> and I think I think part of that is my fault for like knowing that it was coming and then putting all of my own like I was like directing it in my head for months and then it just did not play out the way that I thought it would 
But. Eh, I, like I said, I didn't have the plot, so I was just I was kind of delighted that it was happening because I thought that <laughs> it, you know I, I guess it's admirable the restraint that they showed you know that like you know they they try to pull, they they got together and made moony eyes and like oh this isn't right and we have to pull back several times so I was kind of I guess I was ready for it and. You know, yeah, it's weird how HBO seems to be having this com- campaign to normalize incest with all their their <laughs> their, their high concept dramas, but uh, yeah. they don't. We know. had like what, like a minute and forty five seconds of non like Game of Thrones with no active incest, right? Yeah, between yeah. between Jamie breaking up with Cersei and then <laughs> John and Daenerys. That's sex. right. There was the one pure. That was the the purest point of Game of Thrones, and then and we got thrown out the window. Um, <laughs> So the real so so we get 30 minutes into conversation the real reason I wanted to bring you on here which is what do you think if any season 7 has had an impact on any of the larger speculation about how this series is going to go down and like popular theories like I remember last time we talked about the fact that like Euron might become some sort of evil god um you know that's uh that's poor, that's uh that booth um uh, or Emmett Booth's big theory. Um, mm-hmm. There's also like the fact that like you know what what does this mean about the dragon must have three heads prophecy that a lot of people thought would be Danny John and some combination of uh, Tyrion or uh, Bran warging or perhaps somebody else riding the third dragon that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. What 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 has this season done to the state of speculation in your mind? It's interesting because this season. I feel like has confused me even more about exactly what D and D are paying attention to when it Mm -hmm. comes to prophecy and what they're not. Right. Because for example, the Daenerys infertility thing, it's still very confusing to me that they spent so much time this season with exposition about Mary Mazdor telling her that she couldn't have a baby when they cut that line from season one right like they specifically have her not say that line yes and then they've decided now six seasons later oh shit it was actually pretty important we're gonna just like retcon that and like gaslight the audience into thinking that we did (laughs) like no no we told you we told you she can't have kids and i'm like no you didn't (laughs) like you actually very specifically did it and same thing with the volan car prophecy so now i'm very i'm very confused now as to whether or not that, like, have we all just been kidding ourselves since season five that they meant for book readers to understand that the Volunkar prophecy was in the show when they actually very explicitly cut that line of dialogue? Yeah, I wonder if it's more like they were, because that, you know, in season one where they had the Miriam Asdura stuff, that was before even Dance. Um, right. Which, That's true. which was the first book that kind of made Danny's infertility. Right. Like, like, like brought that back, brought that yeah. back around to like, oh, yes, this is something. So, like, you know, they wasn't sure how well that would be developed. And same thing, the Valonqar right. prophecy, like, you know, do they want to have their hands cuffed that they have to go this particular prophetic way? Um, I mean, I, right. I've always been in a position that, like, even though the Valonqar prophecy is not in the show, it would blow my hair completely back to find out that whoever kills Cersei is different from whoever kills her in the book. Right. So like, yeah. like I, I've always used the way that like, well, even though the prophecy's not in the show, 
we can use evidence of the prophecy to determine who might fit in the show because what are the odds that it's going to be Jamie in the books and Tyrion in the show like that, that would cause a lot of consternation. Same thing with the, I just figured that Danny would eventually not be infertile. And the D this is a classic double D's like eliminating extraneous plot points. But then it is so, it is so weird for have them kind of bring this thing (laughs) come come roaring back and i i don't know like it's sir in one way i'm i'm pleased because it serves my long-running theory that there's going to be some form of democracy you know that like the getting danny to think about well how do you you know you're the blood of the dragon and that's super important but what happens if there's no more drops of dragon blood in the realm um and i so i i'm kind of excited by that but also i share your confusion about what the double D's think they've shown versus what they did show versus what they wish they showed. Yeah. So, I mean, to that, to that point, I think one of the biggest things that I'm now thinking of for the final season is definitely the whole Azora high prince that was promised. And that's a big reason why I think John, either John or Danny won't survive because if they are both meant to be this herald, of Azora High, I feel like it means one of them is going to have to not necessarily like murder the other, but I feel like one of them is going to die to represent that Nisa Nisa sacrifice yeah, yeah. that is then the impetus for the final whatever kiss of death on the Night King. Right. And the long night. And I also I also think that that has to come back into play because um and you and Jim talked about this on your your recap, but Sam brought all these books and scrolls from the Citadel with him to Winterfell. And we now know that the way that Bran's powers work, uh, when I talked to Isaac Hempstead right after the finale, he, he told me that it's basically like he has a Kindle library, uh-huh. but he, but he needs to be told what book to go look for. Right. And then, which is like what we saw with the finale with Rhaegar and Lyanna's wedding. So I, I feel like Sam is going to get Bran to do some sort of exposition flashback to either the Long Night and Azor High or just some some more information about the Night King because yeah um in the in the first batch of season seven photos that HBO released mm-hmm. there was a pi- there was a picture of Gilly reading a book about Azor High yeah right and then in the premiere they intentionally showed her picking up a book that was called the long night and uh-huh. she kind of cracks it open and starts reading, but Sam is too busy reading about like the dragon glass. And so they never really go into that at all. But I think that I think D and D put that on the table so that they can bring it back in season eight and go hopefully a little more into exactly what it means. If either John or Daenerys is Azora high and what it meant the last time that he was here and the long night and how that was all kind of wrapped up. It does also seem that like John, that's the reason I think John's going to live and Danny's going to die because um, it did seem with the 13 companions deal that they were doing or the 12 companions deal rather um, that they were, they were intentionally trying to tell the book readers that John is the last hero. Yeah. And you know, his is like, if you think, you know, the Rhaegar's prophecy of the song of fire and his is the the song of ice and fire that that, that is pretty strong. And, and so that means that, you know, both of them can't survive because number one, this isn't a storybook ending. And number two, um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I don't have a number two. That's just it. <laughs> it would also explain Melisandre 
Melisandre purposefully didn't tell Daenerys that she thinks she is the prince or princess that was promised. She just said, you have a role to play, right. as does another. Right. And that would also fit very neatly with Jon being the Azor, a high figure, but Daenerys being part of the legend, just not the part she thinks she is. Right. And they could subvert it all in the end, and it turns out that Danny, you know, John's Anissa Anissa to Danny's the last, the, to the right. prince that was promised. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, none of that is, is set in stone, but, like, it just seems like that's where they're, tr- they're, they're trying to indicate where things are going. Do you have any yeah. thoughts about, um, the, so let's talk about more about the three-headed dragon prophecy. Do you have any more thoughts about, because that's something I've been trying to ponder this whole season, is the triplet prophecy that Danny gets about the three fires she has to light, the three mounts she has to ride, the three treasons that she will know. Uh, do you, I mean, the, the thing about the three, and here's the thing that worries me, is they also seem to be setting up like this power struggle between John and Danny at the end. Like that, they're gonna you know go through the long night and beat back the darkness and win, and then we're gonna find out that John's actually Aegon Targaryen, or he's gonna find out and he's got the rightful claim to the throne, and Danny's just gonna go fucking berserk about it or something. I'm yeah. I'm super not looking forward to that because I don't buy it, but I could also see like that is the one thing that kind of fits all three of these things to. That 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 fits all like because because you could see that like I think he's she's already seen the the treason for blood and the treason for gold, uh, the treason for love like what else like maybe Tyrion betrays her or John seemingly betrays her or betrays her image of herself like yeah it makes I think it makes the most sense for it to be John and right like would would him killing her be like that would fit. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> if if he has to kill her to fulfill this prophecy, and then that also happens to fulfill her treason for love mm-hmm. prophecy. Um, I can also see it. I can also see it as like her just taking it as treason. That's what if, I meant. It wasn't lit like right. like John doesn't have treason in his heart. She just. You know, right. this whole emphasis exactly. on you must bend the knee, you must bend the knee, you must bend the knee. Like, they yeah. were trying to really sell, like, oh, and, you know, also a conversation between Varys and Tyrion that, like, you know, oh, look at here, Danny, she might be heading into Mad Queen territory. I'm just, yeah, I'm just not buying it after her final, like, you know, the final things that we see in the season. Like, it just seems like. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be, I definitely don't think it's going to be smooth sailing for the reveal and then them trying to figure out what they what they do with the information that John is actually the rightful heir mm-hmm. but at the same time i would caution people against thinking that they're going to go too far with it because they did the exact same thing to us last season with Sansa and John and they left us in the finale with this like uncomfortable look between Sansa and Littlefinger and it was like oh no like is Sansa going to be a problem for John as king in the north and there were definitely threads of that, obviously. Mm-hmm. They butted heads a, a few times, and she still seems unhappy with his decision to go south. But it wasn't – there wasn't some big grand plot point about her trying to actually usurp him. And so I think I think it'll play out the same way with this and the John and Danny, Tyrion – everyone being worried about the fact that he's actually the rightful heir. Sure. It's going to be a bumpy road, but I don't think it's going to lead to any like drastic changes. Well, that's the in thing any of their relationships. Yeah. Cause like I, if, if John, maybe if John pushed like, look, look, turn, look here, I'm the King, 
but right, I don't, but that's I don't, so not John. Yeah, like John would be like, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm one B to your one A. <clears throat> I am the Jay Z yeah. to your Beyonce. I don't give a shit. <laughs> in a world, yeah. in a world that where Lemonade and four forty four don't exist, <laughs> I'm, I'm the Jay Z to your Beyonce. That's fine. You can be the queen, and I'll, I'll be the the king consort. I don't see John being like, no, damn it. This right. means I'm the boss, so uh, you know you got to bend the knee. Ha ha! I just don't see yeah. it happening. I can see people around him saying that. Like I can see even something sure. maybe like, like Ferris or the Northern Lords being yeah. like, "All right, well, if you are actually the rightful king, like, damn it, we're gonna make you the rightful king." But run right, shit, it's, right? It's not gonna come from him. I can see her being uncomfortable with other people like trying to respect his claim. But again, I think that they're they're trying to lean into their affections for each other, mm-hmm. which I think will be the buffer here. Because like you said, if they can just if they can just team up, then that will nullify any tension. And then I think what will happen is she will die and he will become the king anyways on his own. Right. Or whatever they're gonna call it by the end of the series. Cause I, I also agree with you that I don't think the Iron Throne and all the Seven Kingdoms are going to be a thing that one person rules over. But I think that he will, he'll wind up being the last man standing, but it's not gonna be because he stomped his feet and said, no, I'm Aegon Targaryen, the rightful heir to the Seven Kingdoms, so. What do you think of the Aegon Targaryen thing? Ugh, I didn't like that either. That was, a, that was another thing in the leaks where I was like, really? Like. Aegon, I guess, you know, people have pointed out that there are some little, like, hints here and there in the books that Aegon makes sense, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I saw, I saw I think, analysis, I saw analysis said that, like, Rhaegar is intentionally trying to create the triumphant, you know, the, the, the Aegon, Visenya, Rhaenerys yeah, kind of triumphant thing. and a girl to be... The, yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, he dies, both of his kids die, and then Lyanna, you know, decides to respect his wishes to give him another Aegon. But it just, it's so clunky. It's so clunky. It, it is, and it surprises me. I, like... And Aemon is right there. Aemon is right there. I did, I understood the Jaehaerys theory as well. I like the Je- I mean, Jaehaerys would have been better, too, although I think it would have been more of a, like, the fuck from a show watcher's perspective. Right. Right. I mean, the way that I kind of soothe myself with the clunkiness of it is I just tell myself that it doesn't matter because I don't ever see him going by Aegon. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's I not, also it's, it's, really it's don't not like by the end of the show, he's going to be telling people that his name is really Aegon and like, please don't call me John anymore. No, it, it, I, it, like, where are you at with the fandoms liking to call him Aegon? And when no. referring that, that, st- that that's stop so it, confusing. <laughs> stop it. And you're just trying to recapture the bullshit. Like, oh, I know something you don't know. Spoiler kind of thing, because like, yeah, no. there's His no point. There's no point His referring name... him as Aegon Targaryen unless you're in- intentionally trying to confuse things or spoil people. Yeah. No, it's really silly. And it doesn't to me, it just doesn't matter because his entire identity and sense of self is wrapped up in his bastard name. Yeah. And I like, I think that that was part of the point of his whole conversation with Theon. Exactly. Theon underwent his own dealings with like reclaiming his name back from Reek. And the name that you're raised with is your name. It doesn't matter if you suddenly find out when you're, I don't know how old he's supposed to be in the show at this point, like 22. Right. Like it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. He's, his name is Jon Snow and 
Like I think I think King Jon Snow, first of his name, sounds way cooler than <laughs> King Aegon Targaryen, sixth of his name, or whatever. Yeah, you know? been there, be, done that. Would he be sixth or five? I don't remember because I thought I'm... he was actually going to be seven. Because I thought oh. I thought Tar- I thought Rhaegar's Aegon was the sixth. Oh right, yeah. Because wasn't the good King Aegon like you know Egg the unlikely? Wasn't he the fifth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he'd be uh, seventh. Either way, yeah, I yeah, I I don't know. What do you what do you think about? I want to bring this back to Euron because that was the theory that kind of caught my imagination preseason. The fact that like maybe Euron is going to become some dark god, or he might be the like Locutus of Borg spokesman because that's one of the weaknesses of the Night King is that his motivations. He can't speak. Yeah, he's he seems like he's he just ir- irredeemably evil, and his purpose is to destroy all life, and that's a very unmartin thing. So, like Euron would be the face of the Night King to kind of explain their motivations and and give us a familiar face to espouse them. It doesn't feel like they're going for that. Yeah, no, but also, sorry. also, I don't <laughs> think that Cersei. I, 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 I got a, I got a, I got a piece of fan fiction I want to share with you that might bring it back around. Great. Um, but yeah, I know that's my reaction to everyone I get in my email too. But um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I do think that Cersei's out of her mind if she thinks that he's going to take that gold, <clears throat> go over to Essos, and bring back the Golden Company and be her everything. Yeah, no, I think it's too late in the game for them to be like if if and it's a big if he returns in season eight with the golden company i feel like dario has to be at its head oh right but because, then he would disobey his queen's orders to stay and hold marine yeah because he's a sellsword yeah, and he's, i think yeah. they, i think he was butthurt that she left and i don't think that it makes sense for them to bring in an entire new mercenary group with a bunch of unfamiliar faces and someone at ahead of them so Mm -hmm. i think if he if the golden company actually comes into play i wouldn't be surprised if dario is with them and then it becomes like a weird day or like and if that happens euron and dario could decide to fuck over cersei and just be team daenerys again because Uh i think euron euron kind of gave danny this look when she arrived in the dragon pit and Uh He said when he first came to Cersei and he said that he wanted to marry the most beautiful person in the world, he very deliberately did not say that it was her. Yeah. He he kind of was just like, I want to marry the most beautiful person. And then in the books, we have this entire Euron's plot to marry Daenerys right. thing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he does wind up flipping sides and not actually helping Cersei in the way that she's expecting him to. But I think it is a big question as to what, like how far they go with that, given the limited time that they have left and what is his what is his end game i don't know yeah i'm wondering if he because you know in the, in the books they they in the um the forsaken chapters there's all this talk about him making all these blood sacrifices to bring this kind of ragnarok situation to head yeah and i wonder I, like if, if there's something so crazy like euron could take the all thousand men of the golden company and just offer him to the night king as like a giant blood sack like like just one horrific betrayal of humanity to because I, I yeah again there's my fan fiction i'm trying to bring it back to euron being being the face of the bad guy um i don't know that's that's kind of where i think is going to go that he's going to like try to work out some deal with the night king to to get some sort of a, a, allegiance with him yeah, as like a way to kind of save his own skin. And yeah, 
Yeah, I it would. I think it would make it a lot more interesting to have it not be such a one-sided humanity versus unhumanity right battle. But at the same time, there's a part of me that doesn't have enough faith in like it. it I feel like that's like the opposite of what they tend to do. Hmm. Like D, I feel like D and D tend to take the simplest route to get from point A to point B because, sure. like you said, they don't have. George R. R. Martin's roadmap anymore, but they and do I, to some extent, and that's the thing. There's like I, right. I was the biggest hater of the whole fucking Cthulhu bullshit on the Greyjoy stuff. Awesome. But, but they get a fucking kraken that, in the but, battle for humanity. That's what I'm saying. Like I just feel yeah. like there's just too. Like I agree with this. Uh, you know the 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 uh, I keep I can't I don't know Hawkins why. Razor. Yeah. No. I just I just feel like this uh, this poor this poor Quentin guy Booth Jacob or Jonathan. What the hell? Why can't I never remember this guy's name? Um, <laughs> I but, just call him Emmett Booth. Emmett Booth. Thank you. There's too much. There's too much information that's pointing towards that for it to all be nothing. Now I do like your idea of Dario writing at the head of Golden Company because that also would qualify as treason and a treason for love. So yeah. you could do something like that and not have John and Danny turn against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think that this is one of the times where. Like, I mean, you can say the same thing about Dorne. Obviously, Dorne has a much bigger role to play than they do in the show because uh-huh. they're, they've basically been written out of the show. Right. I, I highly doubt that we're going to ever get a reference to them again unless right. it's like in the season series finale and they're like, oh, right, remember yeah, yeah, yeah. this whole other Seventh Kingdom? So, like, I, I feel like Euron is one of those characters that has so much potential in the books and we don't know what's happening yet, but I'm not sure how much of that is actually going to make it into the show uh also um clegane bowl is definitely happening right i mean we saw yeah. the we saw the way in for it so yeah we saw the way in kyburn is off manufacturing medieval <laughs> air horns <laughs> yeah that's that's been the delay this whole time right that there's no there's no air horn yet in westeros right to play it's gonna no. be like trumpets or something uh-huh um i mean yeah i i it it has to happen if only for the fan service. Right. I don't sometimes I don't like fan service, but yeah. when D&D do it right, they do it damn right and I feel like they're going to give us the the Clegane will pay off. It is funny cuz I always felt like the there's like two sections of like the analysis community, one that's a little <laughs> bit more scholarly um and one that's a little bit more like wouldn't it be awesome if and like one that has air horn apps it, downloaded onto their phone exactly and i feel like that that's been kind of a bitter conflict because it's went from like okay settle down the hound's over in his quiet aisle and that's his piece and why it doesn't make any narrative sense to 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 like okay well grudgingly it might happen but here's the reasons <laughs> this would violate all these character points to like God damn it, you guys are fucking right. <laughs> and it's like it's I been it's been interesting. That, I love the people that try and say, like, well, yeah, it's gonna happen and the hound is gonna die, and then you're all gonna be sorry. <laughs> and I was like, why would you say that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Come it, on. and also like, yeah, no one says the game bowl has to have a happy ending. It just it's just, it just going it just has to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, <laughs> that was another thing when I read the leaks that I was like, oh, Really? <laughs> like, oh, you're a, you're a hype slayer, eh? Oh, oh, you you wanted it to happen this season, yeah. yeah. Now, what do you think? Because I already got a couple of um, theories in my mailbag that saying like, you know, add 
the hound saying you always known he's coming for you with Arya always having the ha- the the mountain in her prayers with the mountain or the hound saying conspicuously I'll never get in Arya's way aka there's going to be subversion to Clegane Bowl when surprise it's Arya that somehow either avenges the hound because he's already dead and she's wearing his face or I don't there's some some crazy <laughs> crazy convolutions in this theory but do you think there's any possibility that Arya is the one that does in the the mountain rather than the hound No I mean I that's a really cool idea and hats off to everyone that connected all those dots but once again D&D go for the simplest solution a lot yeah. of the times and I don't think that they're trying to do backflips around Clegane Bowl. I think that they're just holding I think that they're teasing us. They they know how much they're teasing us with it mm-hmm. and they're just waiting until the final season to do it. It it is interesting to to try and figure out now how it's going to happen because we're back to having them on opposite sides of Westeros again. Someone but, someone suggested it's going to be a champion type of situation, which I would find very unsatisfying. Like, uh, you know, kind of like you know what happened. Like another at, like a trial by combat. Exactly. Again? Like 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 kind of like what happened outside the gates. Was it Marine where they sent their champion and then oh you know and it's like no. this this one throw for the gates of the city like that mm. you know no. yeah I feel I feel like it has to happen either in the red keep in some sort of like last gasp of Cersei's powers or on, or like in a chaotic battlefield. And we get like that epic one-on-one, you know, the field goes quiet because (laughs) the Cleganes are fighting each Uh other. Right. Type of, type of scenario. Deafening horns. Um, Yeah. (laughs) All all the air horns that Kyburn had uh, created in. So is there, I just want to let you turn the tables, is there? Because like I've essentially just just you know uh, hounded you with question after question. Did you have anything that you wanted to bring? There's one more thing I want to talk about, but it might not even make the podcast. Um, is there anything that you have like rattle around in your head that you want to talk to me about? Um, I and mean, it's fine if you don't. Just, I just really offering. just want to thank you for also throwing cold water on the Bran as the Night King theory repeatedly because like. God damn, that is annoying me. <laughs> yeah, it's it. The thing is, is like it, the thing about oh, the thing about all these theories. What makes Game of Thrones really maddening to cover is like anything's possible, right? Anything's possible. So, I just feel like the bar is too low right now. <laughs> yes, it really is. It for really fan is. Theories. Um, like, it's, it's yeah, too much. Yeah, like you can't say like, wouldn't it be cool? You have to have like, <clears throat> where is the thematic? The, and it, it's not, and it's not just thematic. It has to mechanically be possible, which is a low bar, very low bar to hurdle. It right. has to make a narrative sense, and it has to also satisfy some sort of character arc because everything's going to be about wrapping up. Think about all the characters we still care about. Yeah, there's like two dozen. And yeah. all of those have to have some sort of satisfying end, um, or some kind of through line to to be a, to, to have a satisfying place where you can kind of leave them. Yeah. There's not a lot of room for like you know, oh, it was Bran all along, and what does that mean for his character, and what does that mean for? I mean, yeah, no, you, you got to be able to it answer. It doesn't mean those anything questions. because it's not true. Because right. it's like, yeah, it, it doesn't. The one thing that. I keep seeing people talk about this theory and no one has convinced me of a good reason why. Okay. Say Bran accidentally passed warged 
into this man who was turned into the Night King, and right. it was all a mistake, and it's it's a, such a tragedy. All right, so then please explain to me why he is now marching south and destroying all of humanity because yeah like why yeah. why is brand why is brand brand's gone King? inside being i mean the brand's <clears throat> gone insane spending eight thousand years inside that zombie corpse uh you know i yeah, mean there's all there's always an answer for it but yeah. again how does this how does this satisfy any of the main narrative plots how does this give right. us insight into brand's character how would that give right. us insight into the night's king characters like all kinds of uh questions that can be asked there yeah it's too much anything kim renfro thank you for coming on to the show once again uh i assume that you have other things going on besides game of thrones you're not just going to sit dormant for the next 12 to 18 months what what do you got going on over the insider um so we are still doing our podcast which is showrunners and i think that we have like five new episodes coming up i haven't hosted any of them but my co-host nick is going all in on that and i'll hopefully be recording new episodes but yeah check out our podcast it's called showrunners uh we interview a different showrunner of a show every week the name gets kind of repetitive but you get the idea it's really (laughs) fun uh we kind of go all in on like behind the scenes and the writing process and how these different series all come to life and that should be pretty awesome and then Westworld comes back spring I know you guys have your awesome coverage of it I will also be doing my my web thing with Westworld when that returns and so that's kind of the next big thing on the horizon right on all right well that'd be cool like maybe uh we can do uh we can do some cross-pollination when Westworld comes running around too yeah, so, I would love that. I it's did such a rich show. Yeah, There's so much going on. Yeah, but you should definitely check out the show because right now, like you guys are, you're, you had a hiatus between seasons, but you talked to Damon Lindelof about the leftovers, uh, Fuller and Green about American Gods, uh, Bruce Miller for The Handmaid's Tale, um, and more. So yeah. it's a really like I, 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 you know, I'm a, I'm the biggest The Leftovers fan on the planet. Or you know, I'll fight. I'll fight someone for the title, and I, I really enjoyed your <laughs> interview with him. So, yeah, uh, that was awesome. Well, stay in touch, Kim. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, yeah, find so much. F- where where do we find you at at the insider dot com? Yeah, this this is insider dot com is our website, and you can find me on Twitter at Kim R Renfro and follow the links there, and you'll find me. There so. you go. All right. Well, yeah. we'll hope to have you on real soon. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, thanks once again for Kim for joining us on that. Again, as soon as we're done with the outro here, uh, we will play the remainder of our conversation that deals with the outstanding spoiler leak from season seven that will be, I think, rolling into season eight. Could be wrong because who the hell knows. But I uh, want to give everybody an opportunity to bounce out of here. Uh, the full spoiler podcast will be out this Friday morning. Uh, and we. That will that that will not be the the final Game of Thrones podcast. Of course, we start with season two next week. Uh, we will be doing a combined. Uh, so so we haven't talked about this, but our, we'll try to do season two the 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 recap and initial feedback point spoiler free. So like if you're listening to this from the very beginning, you will not be spoiled by anything if you listen to the main recap part. But then we'll be playing our music and we'll we'll make the spoiler a part of that podcast where once you get past the music, we start talking about Game of Thrones as a whole outside of just season two and even current stuff. Uh, so if you'd like to send feedback on that uh, game and, and start to watch with us, start watching season two, episode one, send feedback into Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. 
and uh, we'll start there next week. Uh, if you want to hear the last remaining discussion of leaks for uh, the season seven, stay with me and Kim. If not, stop the podcast right now. Stop it. Stop it. I don't want to hear anything about weak willpower, being able to resist. I'm telling you right now, if you don't want to hear any possible leaks for season eight, just just bail. Bail now. There's nothing else after this. Nothing, nothing. There's nothing but pain for you past this this next interlude. So you've been warned. Uh, we'll see you with the full full spoiler wrap up at the end of this week and season two next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. See ya. The one thing that stuck out to me in an otherwise unblemished perfect prediction track record was a lone bullet point uh towards the very end that says cersei wakes up in a bed full of blood the implication is that she has miscarried yes what the fuck was is that real was that their shitty attempt at a canary in the coal mine uh was that something that they decided? Because you know, we know a lot of things get a lot of things get written that don't get shot. A lot of things get shot that don't make it to the final cut. You know, there was a lot of consternation uh, about. Uh, in fact, did you break this? Did you break the what? thing that the the the, the, the Isaac uh, Hempstead Wright oh, reviewed? Okay, because I remind me. Sorry, <laughs> because because no, there is like I, it's so funny because like three weeks in a row, people sent me columns from you to like weigh in on something we were talking about and i'm like Aww, yeah that's um so that's cool but um like you yeah, were, so you they, were big on the, the you're big on the on um uh fucking long claw opening his eyes in that debate oh god yeah yeah that was a pain in my butt yeah but. yeah um but anyway this this let's talk what, what, what do you think where were they going to this miscarriage is the miscarriage real how does this change things is it gonna the, the thing that scares me is i kind of feel like it it might be something that is in play next year. Yeah. I think it's going to happen in season eight and they just decided to kick the bucket down the road a little bit. If I had to bet because everything else in that bullet points, like all of those, everything, the fact that everything else was so accurate makes me think that they might've even filmed it, but decided that was just like one too many things to have in this, you know, that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a packed final 15 minutes too really right and i think i also think that they probably cut it because it det- it it serves up some sympathy for cersei in an episode where i don't think that we need to have any sympathy for her what, like jamie writing away was so great and something that fans wanted to see forever it was that good. then a, then immediately handing them a reason to like feel kind of bad for cersei again was probably too much whiplash on her character, I think. So what do you think? Because my my first thought was this put Cersei back in a situation where... Because I was just thinking, like, before I read that, like, oh, my God, Cersei's going to go full fan for the opera next year. She's going to be trapped in this gloomy tower with her swollen belly and Kyburn whispering poison in her ear and the mountain looming behind her. And she is going to be this giant bloated spider thing that they have Mm -hmm. to come back to, to this purely malevolent force. And I feel like this just heightens it. But on the other hand... One of the reasons she was emboldened to let Jamie go is because she feels like she's got a shot at a family again. And if yeah. that goes away, does that make her is this going to open up like from the books the 
you know, the the Raven message she sends to Jamie, like, oh, my love, please come back and save me and blah, blah, blah. And he crumples it up and throws into the fire. Um, yeah. Or what is this just going to make her that much more evil and wretched when we finally come back to have to deal with her? Or what's what's what do you think is happening here? I do think that they need to push her to be a little bit more unhinged than she's been so far. I mean, she's she's obviously done horrific shit and is very, very bad. But book Cersei is even more, like, in her own mind and paranoid and hysterical, I think. And we haven't quite seen that yet. And I wouldn't be surprised hmm. if, like, this final loss of a child like is is the thing that kind of does her in mentally and yeah, then i'm wondering how much more done in she can be because she's essentially plotting against all humanity at this point and she is but like people pointed out that her her plans are mostly pretty logical yeah like, she's she's made a hard turn towards tywin town this right. this year which surprised me and and i but i also suspect that maybe that will happen in the books Maybe, but in the in the books, she thinks she's on the train to Tywin Town, and everyone around her is like, is like uh, "You are doing the stupidest stuff possible." And right. I think in the books, she's supposed to kind of reap the punishment from that a little bit more with her choice of arming the Faith Militant. And right. in the show, she kind of cleaned up that mess right away and hasn't had any ramifications for it. And so, yeah. I feel like she's sitting a little bit too comfortably now and it would make sense to me if they kind of make her snap and start doing things that are actually more detrimental to her safety yeah that that makes sense although it wouldn't surprise me if martin does something kind of like what they did double d's to jamie where jamie you know they they show him up to be a little bit of uh outmatched against rob and he gets captured at whispering woods and then he says to elena well yeah i've learned i've made a lot of mistakes i've learned from them i wonder if because you know we still got two books to go in in the books and like cersei did a lot of stupid stupid things that got her into a lot of trouble and jamie's not going to bail her out of it so yeah i wonder if the you know i i doubt that she dies uh at the hands of the faith militant and at the hands of the high sparrow so i assume she wriggles out some way and i wonder if that's the story they're going to tell is you know it's kind of cersei triumphant and transcendent and but she's, you know, like maybe she could be the ruler that she always wa- wanted to be, but she's facing a threat that she could never have conceived of before. And right. I don't know. Yeah. I Either way, that baby's not living because that goes against both the show and book prophecy. You think so? Why? Well, I mean, in the show, they already kind of, like, screwed by, like, they had her have right. her little black-haired baby, but it still right. died. Right. And so I I do think that they should still be sticking to the fact that she will only have three children that live hmm. and, like, for a period of time, not just So, so you don't bit. like the theory that Danny will still be infertile and there's some kind of tragic scenario where Cersei delivers her child, um, she dies because, of course, she's Cersei and the the thing has to re- and John and or Danny are have to raise this orphan kid as their own, and that's going to bring oh. kind of their plot back around. That's going to be the bittersweet ending, you know? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is my rebuttal. No, I mean, I 
I it just I, it it doesn't make any sense to me. I because I, I the reason why I don't think that there's going to be any Lannisters left except maybe Tyrion and Jaime by the book's end, and I think it's also very likely that Jaime dies because. Yeah. He always says that him and Cersei are going to leave the world together. Well, um, right. And Cersei <clears throat> says as much, too. So they do seem very much like they're joined in yeah. life and death. So if we're talking about, like, the importance of of narrative and impact on on the general arc, I think that it makes a lot of sense that Tywin's entire obsession with legacy and trying to force Jaime and Cersei to be the two children of his that actually carry on the family name. It makes sense to me that those two would eventually die mostly because of mistakes that they've made. And that Tyrion is ironically the only one left Mm -hmm. to actually carry on that name. And then Mm -hmm. like, who knows? Tyrion could probably have a kid at some point. Hell, Tyrion probably already has a dozen kids. That's true. (laughs) Um, So it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me to actually hand Cersei slash Tywin that tiny victory of actually producing an heir to the Lannister name that is then raised as like the golden child of Westeros that just seems that just seems detrimental to to the deeper irony of Tywin actually ruining his family legacy instead of preserving it Hmm. all right well uh I'm trying to think of a rebuttal of that because I guess like you know would it be interesting if it turns out because you know another thing I get be getting a lot of feedback is like <laughs> is this Euron's baby and that would be but I don't know because then it's like is that how much of that stuff really matters and and where is it I, like I said there is there's a part of me that sees the that there's there's a dramatic irony between John you know legitimizing this bastard child for the good of the realm where his father bastardize a legitimate heir for the good <laughs> for the personal good of you know what i'm saying like that's it's an yeah. interesting inversion somewhere there that yeah. i'm not quite got my hands on but you know uh so anyway uh kim renfro <laughs>